Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read beginning in verse 13. We'll read down through verse 17 as we continue this series, Be Strong, Winning the Fight of Our Life. Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the readiness... Fasten on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer, supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. A lot of coaches in their work with a team and their philosophy of coaching a team will make this statement again and again. Defense wins games. Defense wins games. I'm not a coach, and I don't expect to be one one day. But I hear that philosophy, and I thought about that this week when I heard of a game in Georgia where Sequoia High School played Paulden County High School in basketball, and in regulation, without any overtime, the final score of that game was 135 to 112. I guess some coach in the locker room said that day, I'm telling you guys, defense wins games. If we had not held them to 112, we would have never won. Somebody had some offense for that game. Up to this point, we could say defense wins the battle. We've covered five pieces of spiritual armor. We've talked about a belt made of truth. We've talked about a breastplate made of righteousness. We've talked about boots for the battle made with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We've talked about a shield made of faith. And we've talked about a helmet made of salvation. And those five pieces of armor in many ways look like defense. They look like a way to shield against, stand against, resist the enemy and whatever he throws at us. Today we come to what you consider, could consider one piece of offensive weaponry. We looked in verse 17 today and it says, take up the helmet of salvation. And now it says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of of God. I want to call this message today His Word, Our Weapon. His Word, Our Weapon. The Apostle Paul continues with this metaphor of a Roman soldier, and he's used a lot of pieces of armor and what they would wear for battle today. He refers to the sword. There are a couple of different swords they would have used in their day, and it's indicated by whatever Greek word he used. This is not the sword that would be like the three or four foot long sword that you might see a pirate fighting with. Uh, this is uh, maybe what you would have more in mind as like a dagger. 
12 inches to 24 inches long, a handle on one end, a blade on both sides, piercingly pointed on the end. And it would have been a weapon that was used for up close, almost face-to-face kind of combat. This was not the weapon that was used uh, to launch something in a long distance. It's when the battle intensifies and your enemy's right in front of you and you have this 12-inch, 24-inch dagger to win with. Spiritually, when we talk about the sword, he says he identifies here who uses the sword. He says, take up, take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the spirits. It's what the Spirit uses. We're talking about Spirit with a capital S. Just a couple of minutes here about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When he speaks here, the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about the active agent of the Trinity. We're talking about the Godhead, and this is uh, one person of the Trinity, one person of three in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, take the sword of the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Gospel of John specifically teaches us that the Spirit of God is like the paraclete, the one that comes along beside us, that leaves us not alone. It is the presence of God with us and in us. It's the one who comforts us and coming along to encourage us. But it's also the one that he convicts us and he counsels us. And here we see he's the one that conquers the enemy. According to Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us confidence. So think about all of that together and the work of the Spirit using the sword of the word. The Spirit comforts and convicts. He counsels and conquers, and he gives confidence. We work through the book of Ephesians. There are verses that you kind of get attached to, and you, if you're like me, I'll say, well, that's my favorite verse in Ephesians until next week. And then I say, well, that's my favorite verse in Ephesians. And No, that's really my favorite chapter in Ephesians. And then at some point we find ourselves, Ephesians is just my favorite book in the Bible. You, know, you, just, you just keep looking. But in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, Two verses that God has given so much confidence in my heart and assurance. If you're looking today for assurance in your salvation, listen to what happens when you believe in Jesus. Maybe it was 25 years ago that you accepted Christ as your Savior. Listen, Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. That's the, that's, he says, the gospel of your salvation. He defines what the word of truth is. He says, you you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You heard the gospel, the truth was presented, and what did you do? You believed it. You trusted that Jesus was your savior for the forgiveness of your sins. What happened then? He says, and you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. 
And you see, the work of the Spirit, when we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the work of the Spirit is to seal us and give us a guarantee of the deposit that one day when we die, we will receive the inheritance that comes as a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comforting, convicting, counseling, conquering, and giving confidence. And when this what the Spirit uses to fight with in us and through us is a sword, figuratively. The metaphor is a sword. And what is the sword? How, what does the Spirit use? What the Spirit uses to fight within you and through you in the spiritual battles of your life is the Word of God. This is doesn't have to be complicated. There are two Greek words that are translated word. There's a Greek word logos and the Greek word rhema. Logos is John 1, 1 and John 1, 14. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God and the logos was God. Verse 14, the Logos became flesh. The Word became flesh. Logos is, is really, it's this hyper, uh, this heightened word, big word that, that describes Jesus as the Word. It describes, here's the Word of God. It's big. It covers it all. It's the whole council. Rhema is, in a way, Portions of that, you might say. Phrases of that. Statements of that. And when he speaks here in Ephesians chapter 6, and he says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. A, a, a verse, a phrase that might say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a portion of the Logos. It's a rhema. It's a piece of the word. It's a statement. And he says, here's, here's what you have to fight with. You have what God has said, this truth that God has spoken to be weapons against the enemy. The Spirit of God, his work is taking that word and he makes the word of God powerful and effective. The Spirit of God fuels the Word of God. The Spirit of God inspires the Word of God. The, fuel of the, the, the Spirit of God brings life to the Word. It's the work of the Spirit in making the Word alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, as Hebrews 4.12 says. And the Spirit is using that, uses that sword to fight against the enemy. And so I'd summarize it in this way. The sword made of the Word of God and fueled by the Spirit of God gives daily victory to the children of God. If you want to be strong and win the fight of your life, you do have a shield, and you do have a breastplate, and you do have a helmet, and you do have boots for battle, and you tie it all together with truth. But our weapon 
to resist the enemy and win against the enemy, fight against the enemy, is the sword of the word. And the word gets its life from the spirit. It's what separates my words from God's word. You could say to me, Pastor, tell me what you think about this. And I could tell you what I think about this. But the real power and the real wisdom would be you saying, tell me what you think about this. And me saying, this is what the word says about this. You see, what God says about any matter is more true, more powerful, more needed, more effective than anything that I could say or you could say or any buddy of yours could say or any philosopher could say. We have so many voices, don't we, in this world? So many avenues to hear things. People want us to pay them to tell us what they think and what they believe. We have uh, so many places that you can go to, to, to get counsel and get advice. Listen. There are five words that are the most important about any decision you're facing, any temptation you're confronting, any direction you're trying to discern, and here are those five words. What does the word say? What does the word say? When we're standing against the enemy, we're trying to walk the walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're trying to stand against the enemy. Our warfare is not a rope-a-dope strategy. Now, there's only a certain generation in here that even knows what rope-a-dope is. You'll have to Google it if you're under 40. Um, Later, all right, not now. It's not us just standing out there and letting the enemy throw his best punches over and over and over again and attack us and knock us down and knock us down and knock us down and hopefully somehow, some way we can dodge and we can miss something. Our strategy is to stand. Our strategy is to take the sword of the word and let the word of God give us victory in our everyday life. Give us the ability to walk in truth, to walk in wisdom, to walk according to the counsel of the Lord. We, from time to time, will use a phrase when we're talking to people. We may be in some kind of debate, some kind of conversation, and it gets down to it where you're trying to make a decision about a matter, and finally somebody will Say, maybe you say, well, it's like my daddy always said. Or it's like my mama always said. It's like my third grade teacher always said. What are we saying? At that point, in a moment of decision, what we've done is we've attached some kind of weight and wisdom to something that somebody said that we value. And we've decided that what they said about a matter was worth repeating and it would bring A decision for the matter. And those things are good. Somebody on the way out this morning told me something that their 
mama said. She said, my mama always said, when we left the house, God's not the only one working out there. That's a good word. Here's the most important word. The most important word is not what my daddy said, not what my mama said, but what the word of God said. We need to fight our battles first with the power of the word. Now, the great example of this is Jesus himself. And some of you are way ahead of me. You could preach this message. You, you, you know where we're going. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the story where Jesus has not begun his public ministry yet. In Matthew 4, he goes into the um, wilderness, led by the Spirit. We have, he's baptized, and then he goes into the wilderness, and for 40 days and 40 nights, he goes without food. Look at it, Matthew 4, verse 2, it says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yep, I think so. It's just the word, it's just plain spoken. 40 days, 40 nights, what's the result of that? Physically hungry. And the enemy comes, the tempter comes. And where does the tempter seek to work? Where he's weak, where he might be prone to give in. And it says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered, it is written, and he lifts a verse of God's word out of Deuteronomy, and he speaks this word to the tempter. Now, Jesus wasn't against food. He wasn't against eating. There would be, he wasn't against doing miracles that involved food. There would be a later time where he would break bread and he would break fish and he would feed 5,000 plus. But in this moment of this of temptation, he realized that what the enemy was doing was, was coming and, and, and trying to trip him up and get him to follow his lead and work a miracle that would demonstrate that all he needed was just to feed his flesh he says it's written man shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God and then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written here the enemy Satan he's He's given the orders. He's given the charge. And he quotes from Psalm 91. He actually lifts a verse of scripture out of Psalm 91. and says, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. And in a discerning way, Jesus says to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Look this way for just a moment. I think this 
this phrase of the enemy clues us in to what is the real battle for us every time we face temptation. Satan comes and, and, and he says, I'll give you this. You you won't hear. I'll give you this if you'll fall down and worship me. Do what I'm follow follow me. Go, go with me on this. Let me be your provider. Let me be the one that's leading you. Follow what I'm directing, and I, and just fall down and worship me, and you'll have it all. Then Jesus said to him, "Be gone, Satan." For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Tomorrow morning, you face some temptation headed into your day. Here's what's behind that temptation. It's the enemy saying, worship me. Follow me. I'll give you what you really want. I'll answer your prayers. Go my way. Do it my way. Jesus said, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What did he do? He used the sword of the Spirit. He used the word of God against the enemy. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Four things about this scene here with the enemy and Jesus, the tempter and Jesus. Number one, Jesus knew the word. Jesus knew the word. For you and I to follow this pattern of Jesus, of the the sword of the Spirit being used in our life to win the battle of our life, it's really practical. You need to know the Word of God. Sometimes we can make Christianity so complicated. And and we we look for all the angles and the the, the newest thought and the, the, the latest spiritual fad. And it really just comes back to the basics of believers gathering together, encouraging one another, learning the word, knowing the word, spending time with him, walking in obedience to what his word says. And fixing our eyes on Jesus till he comes back. We need to know the word. Secondly, Jesus used the word accurately. Satan raises up this word from Psalm 91, and Jesus comes back knowing the whole counsel of God's word, and he speaks to him. It's easy for us to grab a phrase and twist it and make it be what we want it to be. Part of knowing the word of God is knowing the whole counsel of God. And, and seeing what is, what is God up to? What is God's goal? What is God doing as he reveals in his word? Use the word accurately. Number three, Jesus drove the enemy away with the word. How do you break the cycle of temptation in your life? How do you break the stronghold in your life that Satan has right now? It will be feeding your soul on the word. What what blood is to the physical body, the word is to our soul. It's our life. It's our victory. It's our weapon. 
Jesus drove the enemy away with the word. Then the devil left him. And then number four, Jesus won. W-O-N, Jesus won with the word. We usually stop at verse 11 here, but go down to verse 12. And the story goes on a little bit. The enemy has left. The tempter has left. Verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, referring to John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. How did Jesus win? Prophecies about him were fulfilled. Think about this. We, just, we leave this scene where the enemy is saying, do this, feed yourself, turn the stone into bread. Do this, bow down and worship me. Do this, you can have all of this. And the temptation is there, the temptation is there. And, and Jesus gives the word back and the enemy flees. And what's the next thing that happens? Prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled. The enemy's attack in your life is an attempt to knock you off of God's purposes and plans for your life. And as he tempts you, wanting so much to lead you in a way different than what God wants your life to be. And, and we, it, it, knowing the word and using the word and driving the enemy away from the word puts you in a position to win through the word. For God's plans and God's purposes for your life to be accomplished. I'm going to give you this summary statement here. If you hide the word in days of peace, you will be amazed at how the Spirit will find it in moments of battle. If you will hide the word in days of peace, you'll be amazed at how the Spirit will find it in moments of battle. What do I mean? If you don't have the word hidden in your heart, if you don't have the word hidden in your soul, if the word's not in there, this, this living, active word of God, when the enemy comes, there's nothing to fight with. You, you, you just got the stamina of the flesh. But if the word of God is hidden in your heart, you will see again and again and again how the spirit of God brings that word to the surface and uses it to win against the temptation of the enemy. How many times? Listen, think about it. In your life, maybe it, it, it comes and, and the enemy tempts you and it's, it, it, it's, you can't do that. You, yeah, God wants you to do that, but you'd never be able to do that. Not you. I mean, that's what other people do, but not you. God's not going to, you're going to be out on your own. You're not going to be able to do that in the spirit of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or you're in a hard place. You'll never be provided for. You've gone with God. You go with me. Just do, just, just hedge a little bit here. Do it my way. What that word hidden in your heart? What will the Spirit of God do? My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. Throw in the towel. Give up. Turn your back on Jesus. Life's too hard. Look where it's gotten you. 
my God shall work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, you may not know the address. I have the hardest time with the addresses of verses. And, 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 you, and, and listen, they're, they're not what's inspired. You know that, don't you? I mean, the, the, the chapters and verses were put in long after this word was spoken. As you hide the word in your heart again and again and again, God will bring it up and you'll be amazed at what the Spirit will find in your soul if you'll hide it in your heart. It's so amazing, so encouraging to me to see in these days how God is using his word to buoy us as a church. And so many of you as individual believers. You think, think about where we are as a church right now. Back in December, really, God put on my heart for us to memorize scripture together. Inspired by a message that we heard from Sam Landreth back in September when he challenged us about, about the word of God and memorizing it. And so December, I was like, Lord, let's find 52 verses. I'm, and I started trying to make my own list and... Then I started looking at other lists, and I came across this book by Al Jackson called The Joshua Mandate. And so the list was right there, 52 verses. And I said, this is it. We're going to learn these 52 verses. And so we started in January, and the first verse was Genesis 1-1. And we're just working through those verses right up until this past Monday. I opened my list to see what was the verse for this week. And last Monday, before I ever started studying for today... What was the verse for this week on Monday? Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what that was? It was like a big old hug from God just coming down saying, I know right where you are. I know right what you need. And as a church, don't you give up on this. The word of God is the sword of the spirit, and it's there where you will win. Listen, he knows where we are, and the word is living and active and sharp. It's our sword Adrian Rogers says there are three kinds of people in this world. Number one, those who are afraid. Number two, those who don't know enough to be afraid. And number three, those who know their Bible. We have the word of God. And for every temptation and every lie and every besetting sin, there is a sword to defeat it. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and reproof and correction and what? Training in righteousness. Think about that last phrase. Do you, do you get there? And training in righteousness. Training, the word of God is useful in training in righteousness. The word of God is useful to train us how to do rightness. What's training for? Training is something you do ahead of time before the main event. And you train and you train and you train and you train for that marathon. And then you run the marathon. And ways that you've trained has gotten you ready. When we're using the word of God and hiding it in our heart, the training in righteousness, it's in there so that when the tempter comes and the battle is on, we can choose rightness. 
by speaking the word of God against the enemy. It's useful. And so let me again be the CRO of our church, the chief reminding officer. Read the word. Daddies, mamas, read the word. College students, read the word. Study the word. Get an A in chemistry. Get an A plus in God's word. Be like me. Fail chemistry. <laughs> Let's get the word of God. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will prosper and be successful. If your intake of God's word is on the decline, it is fertile soil for Satan to increase his activity in your life. We want the enemy running away from us, not coming after us. We send him on his way with the word of God. Now, I kind of got basketball on the brain right now, okay? I just finished last night watching my son Wilson play 30 games of high school basketball in his senior year. And... Um, watching a lot of basketball you know what a coach does in practice say hey what y'all do today a bunch of drills again yes all the bad ones we did dribbling drills and we did defensive drills and we did shooting drills and we did passing drills 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 any of you remember Bible drills? Remember, what were we doing? Just learning scripture, putting it in our heart. Why does a coach dribble drills, passing drills, shooting drills, so that when you get in the game, you're not standing there thinking, okay, he's open. I think I need to put both hands on my chest and push out where my thumbs are pointed that way when I finish. No, what happens is when you see the guy opens, muscle memory takes over because you've drilled it so many times. It's just automatic. You make the pass. And in a, in a blink of an eye, you know whether to throw an overhead pass, a two-handed chest pass, or a bounce pass. When we learn the word of God, when the enemy comes, the spirit of God will use the sword win three words I want to ask you to take away this morning from this it is written it is written and tonight tomorrow 
fight of your life. Satan, it is written. And then just let the word come. Read the word. Memorize the word. Hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Father, would you help us today to win? To win the battle of our life. We love you. Thank you for the sword. We pray you'd use it. In your name we pray. Amen.